Just so that you know, one of them is water. Okay, so I'm not I'm not double fisting coffee. I do that on Wednesday nights sometimes, though, don't I? Tea in one hand, coffee in the other. Romans chapter one. And as I mentioned uh, also earlier, we are going through the book of Romans also on Wednesday nights. Um, And we're going to do a little bit of moving around. We've kind of been doing some things sequentially in in Romans, but as we're getting into this a little bit more, we'll probably uh, move around a little bit and not be quite as always so sequentially on Wednesdays and on, on Sundays. But this morning I wanted to look at Romans chapter 1 verses 8 through 14. Romans 1. Beginning with the 8th verse it says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise, So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Lord, we pray that you would give us insight into this passage and so much is here and really so little time we have to cover it. And so we pray, Lord, that you would just uh, help us to focus in on the things and by your spirit give us attention to the things that you desire for us to received this morning. Fill us with your spirit that you might uh, speak to our hearts, that you might move in our hearts. Fill me with your spirit that you might speak through me. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Didn't burn me this time. Boy, last time I took a drink, it was like, wow. Anyway, that's the first cup in the morning on Sunday, by the way. Um, I so I wait this long before. Anyway, um, I almost skipped this passage. And, and the more I started reading it, the more I thought, there's a lot of stuff in here, even though it's still kind of introductory. And a matter of fact, we're, gonna, we're probably going to cover part of this again on Wednesday night because I don't, I don't have really near the time to, to completely address the whole thing. But, but after the... the um, the greeting that, that is rather lengthy for Paul compared to some of his other letters. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So, while there is a lot that could be said, 
there were some things that were written and some of it really read like kind of a educated guess, right? Conjecturing, kind of supposing that maybe this or that is what is true about the, the Romans in this time. And we really, we really know very little about the very, very early part of the Roman church. Um, what really caught my attention here um, was Paul's relationship to God and how his relationship was manifest in prayer, which is what I want to look at in this, in this particular passage. In, in verse 7, uh, he refers to God as his Father, and it says, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word the is not there in the Greek. It could read, God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, he refers to God as his Father, and then immediately in verse 8, what does he say? First, I thank my God. Father, my God. So he's using terms that is describing an ent- really a, a, a close personal relationship that Paul has with God. That God is not some kind of ruling deity off off into the heavens somewhere that's, that's far removed uh, from us, but but he's right there. He's very close, um, and you know it's. And as I thought about this, how how close do we feel to God on a given day? Now I know that even in that question, your mileage is going to do what? It's going to vary. Your mileage may vary. But do you feel close to God? Do you do do you consider him? A father. I won't say like a father. I will say, do you consider him a father? And is that, do you have that father-son or father-daughter relationship with him? Do you refer to him in the companion sense as my God? Psalm 63, 1, it says, oh God, you are my God. Do you have that type of relationship with him? And and what, what's interesting to me is that, that as I thought about Paul's prayer life, because what I think he's doing here, he's instructing on prayer in this little passage. But he's doing so in a way that he's using his own life as a model to teach others about prayer. He's not writing this out like a tech manual, Right? Like a tech order, right? Where you would, you would work on something, remove this part, remove this part, then you get to the part that's actually bad, you take that part out, you put another part in, and then you put all the other parts back. It's not that type of writing. But he's writing uh, in a way that he's using his own life as, as a good template for what prayer is to be about. But it starts with relationship, So that to me, that it begs the question, do you pray your way into good relationship or do you have a good relationship that increases your prayer life? I mean, these are some of the things that I think of, right? I don't know if you ever think about these. Do you pray your way into a good, prayer, uh, to a good relationship with God or is your good relationship with God a means to increase your prayer life? I think both are true. 
I think both are true in this kind of reciprocal, if you will. As I, I'm praying for more of God, I, my, my relationship with him develops, which develops my prayer life even more, which causes me to want to have a closer relationship to him. Now, there's, there's, there's dips and valleys in that, and, and mountain peaks as well, correct? But, Phil, if you could mute me real quick. Okay, we're good. I guess it was a bit loud. Yeah, sorry. Um, What's your relationship with God like? Do we strive to know him more? Do we strive to know him better? And what I, what I, you, you have this relationship with Paul, but what I see here is out of the relationship, what is the first thing he does? What's the first thing he does? He gives thanks. The first thing he does is he gives thanks. And to me, that, that really just struck me. Where he says, first of all, I want to give thanks. Now, he's giving thanks for the reputation of the Romans. Now, has he ever been there at this point? No. Did he start the church in Rome? No. Who did? We don't know. Now, there are some churches who think Peter was the one who established the church. Probably didn't, although I found some interesting things in some historical books that I may read to you really briefly on Wednesday night that talks about Peter and his role in the early church in Rome. But but nonetheless, uh, we really don't know who started that church. But But what you have here is that Paul, from his relationship with God, is giving thanks for the reputation of a church that may, that probably wasn't all that big. It's probably a rather small church. But he's giving thanks for a relationship or the, a reputation of this church, and these are people whom he's never met, and yet he sees in that reputation a furtherance of the gospel. A furtherance of the gospel. We don't have to be big. We don't have to be mighty. Are we furthering the gospel in our daily lives in one way, shape, or form? Paul recognizes this about the Romans, but in his prayer, because of his relationship to God, the first thing he starts out with is giving thanks to God. I could probably camp out on that thought for the rest of the time of the importance of Thanksgiving. We, we did look at it uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We, we, we uh, addressed the idea of the importance of being Thanksgiving to, or giving thanks to God, which we will, by the way, we will address that again shortly in the first chapter of the book of Romans of neither were they thankful. We'll look at this a little bit more. Um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says that the peace of God would rule your hearts and that you would be thankful. The peace of God would rule your hearts. In other words, that the God's peace, based on your relationship with him, this, this word rule really kind of refers almost to this idea of being a referee. 
that God's peace is going to determine how we view our own lives. And yet, even in the context of being involved and living in God's peace, we are called to be thankful, even if things don't turn out the way we feel that they should have turned out. And that's important to remember. I, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I, again, I don't know why my mind at times defaults to old hymns because, you know, I listened to them, sang them when I was a really young kid, but as I got older, the church kind of changed and we don't do that, sing those songs anymore. But this idea of counting your blessings, name them one by one. And this idea of being thankful and Paul was thankful because the Romans had the Roman Church actually had a reputation uh, of being faithful uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So, as Paul is praying this. I'm envisioning, now, I'm going out on a limb here. But I'm envisioning as he's thanking God for the, the reputation of faithfulness of Roman church that has gone out through the whole world. Now, that would mean the known world. That would really mainly refer to the, the Roman Empire, the area of the Roman Empire. Okay. But I would think that as Paul is praying a prayer of thanksgiving and thinking about the entire known world that his heart and his mind and his prayer goes before God on their behalf as well. Because what I have found is is that is how prayer often works for me. Yes, there are times I write out a list and I pray the list. But there are times as I'm praying the list, what happens? Other things come to mind that I begin to pray for. And so Paul is, is engrossed in this mission of the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just in his locale, not just to even his, his countrymen, but recognizing his calling, uh, as the book of Acts talked about this, his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles, and he's seeing the ministry to which he is called go forth and is going forth based on the actions and faithfulness of a church of people whom he has never met. So it's just, not, it's just not the Apostle Paul traveling show that he is concerned about. He's praying for the entire body of Christ. Now this letter is really interesting that he writes to them because it's longer than most of his letters and it's, it, it, uh, commentators argue about whether this is a theological treatise or just a, a situational letter. I tend to think it's maybe a little bit of both, but leaning more toward the theological treatise, but I don't, I'm not going to get into that this morning. But, but he, he's giving thanks because they have been given a good report. And he's thanking God because of the work that has taken place. And so, and, and then he goes on and he says, For God is my witness. 
I had trouble with this one. He says, for God is my witness. Because the word witness is the word martus, which can also be translated martyr. But what he is saying that God can testify of my heart when he says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And he said, God could testify to that fact. And boy, I thought about that. And I, I, part of me in my thinking went back to grade school, which is a bad thing to do. Uh, the place, the playground with the kids saying, I swear to God, man. You know, you, you, you know we've all heard that. We, we even hear that as adults, right? Um, that's kind of what Paul's doing here. But he's doing so, I believe, based on a clear conscience. He's doing it based on a clear conscience and, and, and he, in essence, he's saying that, that, that I have been, been with the Spirit of God praying for you and thanking God for you. So what this tells me, and he not only just did it occasionally, but he did it continually. If you spend a lot of time with something, do you end up having a personal investment? You do. Particularly, I think, if you spend a lot of time praying for something or someone or a group of people, you end up having a, a personal investment. Not only do you have a personal investment, but Paul is, is declaring here, I think, without saying it directly, I think by what he's describing in describing his actions, what he is saying is that the battlefield of the furtherance of the gospel is one in the prayer closets. And that prayer is what undergirds the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they have a good reputation. Paul's aware of that. He thanks God for that. But he's also, without ceasing, making mention of them in his prayers, people whom he's never met. Now think of this. this Paul writes this in a seaport outside of Corinth on his third missionary journey. So by the time he's gone through Part of the third missionary journey, he's already established several churches. He's already spent considerable amount of time with different people in different cities, not only proclaiming the gospel, but seeing people come to the knowledge of the faith, but also the establishment of churches. And so he, I, I wonder, I want, I'll have to ask him. I wonder how often he, how often or how long a day he prayed. Remember, part of it, and, and he, 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 he held on to some of the better Jewish practices, and I think one of the ones that he held on to was the morning and evening prayer, based on the Torah of the morning and evening sacrifice. And 
what's interesting about this, him describing this prayer is, is that, that first he gives thanks to God, then he intercedes for them. Then he starts talking about his own needs and wants and desires. Thanksgiving first, intercession for others. And then he talks about his own needs. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily a required order. I think if you want a good, re, uh, uh, a good template for prayer, it's found in Matthew chapter 6 with the, what's called the Lord's Prayer. And, and I, I think that is a good template to use also and to expand from that as well. But Paul here is mentioning that, first of all, I give thanks. I'm making mention to you always uh, interceding for you before God. And God is a witness to that. Now, considering how serious the Jews took this idea of invoking the name of God. It was almost akin or similar to almost like taking a vow. And so if he is going to invoke God as his witness, and again, the Jews took the name of God incredibly seriously. We should learn a thing or two from that, I believe. He's either a nut to have said something like this or he's telling the truth. One of the two. Saying God is my witness whom I serve in my spirit. And I don't want to get too wrapped up in this either dichotomy of man, body, body and spirit or trichotomy, body, soul and spirit. I see, I see more of body and a material element of humanity, bodies, and an immaterial element, soul and spirit. But I know that some of you have different views on this. But but I looked up part of what this was talking about. Matter of fact, even some of the translations translate this word spirit into heart. Now, it's the word pneuma in the Greek. It's trans, the better translation is spirit, all right? The context, though, I believe it, it, it talks about the, the source and the seat of insight and feelings um, of a person's inner life. The source and seat of insight and feelings uh, within a person's inner life. It, it, you know, it, it, like what we use, when we use the term or read the term, when I do something with my whole heart. And I think I think that is the kind of the the the, the context that's being uh, talked about here by Paul. Although yes, he does use the word Greek, uh, the Greek word pneuma, which is translated spirit in this. But how he serves God with his whole heart, and I mean, I thought about that as far as what Paul is saying here. It, if his prayer life is what I imagined that it was, and I imagine it was pretty broad. Now, of course, he was, he was also one who told us to pray without ceasing. We talked about prayer a little bit already on a Wednesday night, didn't we? Recently. 
And if, if his whole life was, uh, was, was marked by uh, what he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, pray without ceasing, I, I would say that he went through his entire day praying. And, I, and I, would, I would encourage you to do that as people come to mind, as situations come to mind, um, pray about them as you go. Can I be even a little bit more direct? Instead of complaining, pray. And, and take these things to God who has the power to change them. What I've found in, at times when I, I you know, it, it, th- th- that, that there is a certain peace and a certain um, comfort of just being able to take these things to God in prayer. And, and so he, he's saying that, you know, I, I serve with my inner being, I serve with my whole heart, but what kind of a prayer life must he have had because he talks in many of his letters about how he prays for them and again probably the morning and the evening and maybe even the 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 uh, uh the daily offices of prayer that the jews also recognized during the daytime that he actually kind of stopped whatever it was that he was doing and spent some time in prayer Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I, I've, I've, I tend to feel that prayer is not easy. To me, it's kind of hard, all right? Maybe because I'm kind of ADD, I don't know. And I've shared this with you before. I'll start to pray and I'll think, I wonder what the temperature of my refrigerator is right now, as if that really matters. All these stupid things that come into my mind. Some of it, I think, is actual spiritual warfare. But, but prayer is the work that, that, that God calls us to, to engage in, really, for the furtherance of the gospel ministry. And that we're called to pray. And, and I, I think, I think at, at times, I've talked to different pastors and people in churches for a while now, and I'm convinced that we begin by prayer we, and then as we pray, then God starts to give a vision. What I find in some churches, though, they want the vision first and then they want God to bless the vision. And I, I loved what, and I didn't agree with some of the stuff that he taught, but I'll tell you who it was. I loved what John Wimber said when he said that don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God is doing and then bless that. Get involved in that. And you pray yourself into that because, because it's, it's, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of man to find out. So the Proverbs tell us. And, and so we, we spend time in prayer saying, all right, Lord, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you want us to do? And, and we're... He says, and, I, and uh, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now that I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. All right. He's finally started talking about his prayer request. 
And what does he want to do? He wants to go to Rome. I find that interesting in this group, too, because some of you cringe when you have to go to Portland, right? It's kind of funny. I don't like it either, all right? I just, I remember what was, wasn't the last time or so there. I remember one time I drove down a one-way street, all right? I wasn't even aware I was doing it, right? It was just, it's too big for me. But he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go that Notice his wording here. I'm making a request. Not only am I praying for you all the time, not only am I thanking God because of the reputation that you have throughout the known world, but I want to come and partake of that. I want to be a part of that. I want to have some, uh, 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 some kind of interaction and fellowship with you on that. But notice how we... Words it. If by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. That I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. I, I, I thought that just the way that, that he worded that to me, it just I find that really interesting. That... He's looking for God's direction. He's looking for God's will. He's looking for God's timing. He's also looking for God's purpose and God's plan and God's word that he may impart to them. And also, if, as we read through this, he's also looking to receive from them as well. But he's wanting to work within the parameters of God's will. See, that's his desire. Talking about his own desire here. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself. I'm going to read it again. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Where does that take us in this text? To me, that takes us right back to verse 7 where he addresses God as Father, in verse 8, where he addresses God as my God. Because he no doubt delighted himself in the Lord. That's talking about relationship. It's talking about a sense of intimacy that he had, that David writes about in Psalm 37, that he had with God that I would submit to you that he still has with God even today. And out of the fruit, excuse me, the fruit of the relationship is the desires. The fruit of the relationship is the desires. Because he has spent time with God, because he has developed a relationship with God, then the desires are being manifested. And with him, he just wants to go to Rome. He wants to be a part of that church. He wants to, it says that I may be encouraged together with you uh, by, by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He's looking to be encouraged together. He's looking that, and we'll, we'll cover this on Wednesday, but he's looking that to impart to them some spiritual gift that they may be established. I thought that was an interesting phrase as well. 
He wants to impart to them a spiritual gift. It, the Greek word, the nematokos, spiritual, which is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begins where it says, now concerning spiritual gifts. That's the first part of, of that verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Now, it's translated spiritual gifts in the English. In the Greek, it simply means now concerning spirituals. The word gift is added. It's not in the original Greek. We'll get into that more on Wednesday night. Maybe that's a good commercial for you to come out. But then he uses the word charisma for gifts, that he might impart to them a pneumatico, spiritual, operations of the spirit. That's what it's referring to, gifts. Charisma. Which is from the word charis, which means what? Grace. The results of God's grace. Remember, we talked about grace a bit on on Wednesday night. But the results of God's grace in his life are his the gifts that God God gives to him, gives to people. But he gives to them his request where they could have this mutual impartation of the things of God, his desire to come and to be with them because he has delighted himself in the Lord. And because he has delighted himself in the Lord. God gives us the desires of our hearts. A few words on that, then we'll be done. What I've found is that the desires of my heart is not always the best thing for me. I know that might be really hard for some of you to believe, right? But the desires of our hearts are not always the best thing for us. But what I've found is I delight myself in the Lord and I spend time with him and I seek him first. And I first thank God in all things. Those desires have a way of changing. They have a way of changing. And it, it, the, some of the things that I have desired, I'm not even going to tell you what they are. Because you wouldn't tell me about yours either, right? Well, maybe you would. But some of those things that we desire are really not the best thing for us. And God desires something so much better, something really, and when I say something so much better, we think it's going to be bigger, grander, better, best, right? Now, Sears catalog, good, better, best. You remember that, guys, right? The, the lawnmowers, you have the good one, you have the better one, then you have the best, right? And we always think that God always wants to give us the best. Well, he does. But sometimes the best may come in the form of a good or a better rather than always the best. Because God is more interested in your eternal development than he is in your temporal pleasure and comforts. And so he will 
give you the desires of your heart and the desires of your heart if you are truly delighting yourself in the Lord the desires of your heart will be things that enter into your life that are going to further your eternal spiritual development not just something that's just going to make you happy for a week I wonder how many of the toys that we gave our grandkids that they are currently still playing with here in the end of January. Hopefully, (laughs) all the grandparents were shaking their heads. Yeah, hopefully they're still playing with some of them and that they still enjoy them. But you see, again, so you delight yourself in the Lord, this relationship with God, and and in that it begins to fine-tune you. It begins to adjust you. It begins to take some of those desires that we have that are really birthed in our own sense of importance and God replaces those with eternal important things that we desire after. And as we delight in him, then he gives us the desires of the heart. Because as we read at the end of the book of Acts, where does Paul eventually end up? He's in Rome. How does he get there? As a prisoner. If I were Paul, I would be like, isn't there a better way to have gotten me to Rome than this? And what's interesting is, if you know, it, well, it's right here in front of me. It says, there, um, um, Verse 30 and 31 of Acts chapter 28, it says, Then Paul dwelt two years in his own rented house. Okay, this is in Rome. He had a guard, right? But he basically had freedom. And he received all who came to him. Who came to him? Probably all kinds of people, but you can bet the people whom he wrote this letter to came to him as well. And preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. He got his desire. But in the meantime, he had to wait. He had to wait. Don't you love it when God makes you wait? Laugh if you will, right? I hate it when God makes me wait. But follow this. This is where I want to end. I told you I was going to do that a minute ago, but I forgot about this. this is a good point. I really I want you to grab this. He wanted to be in Rome, but he had to wait. But he kept praying, no doubt. God is his witness. He kept praying. That somehow, at last... Verse 10 again, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So what does he do in the meantime? What does Paul do in the meantime? I think he keeps praying. I I think I can make a pretty good argument of that. What else does he do? He writes the letter. He writes the letter. 
So he comes to them in that form. He's keeping, he, he keeps pressing into the will of God and praying into the will of God, waiting for an opportunity to come to Rome. In the meantime, he writes this letter, and because of that, we have this significant, incredible portion of the New Testament that not only was given to them, but is given to us as well. And I bet he had no idea what he was doing. other than he was being moved by the Spirit to write the things that he wrote. He did not receive an instantaneous fulfillment of his request, but because he was prolonged and because he, was, he persevered in the things of God, all of a sudden we have the book of Romans that is presented to us. See what I mean again about Paul is using himself as a template for what it means not only to have a, a solid prayer life, but to have this incredible relationship with God that his prayer life develops and his, his relationship with God further develops his prayer life and it goes round and round and round and round. But he was looking, I love this, to find a way in the will of God to do and fulfill his desire because he delighted himself in the law, or excuse me, he delighted himself in the Lord and therefore God gave him that desire both in written form and then being there personally, physically later on as well. So to me it's an incredible example of what it means to press into the things and desire God's will and to seek his will in prayer. Amen. So, Father, we pray for your will for each of us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us and to guide us. Help us to be patient when those desires that we have, that we believe are from you, are not fulfilled, at least right off. But help us to continue to press into the things of God. To continue to recognize you as our Father, as our God. To be people who pray without ceasing. And to find a way within your will to see these desires that you have planted in us to come to fruition. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.